Let us pray. O God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature, grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. The Word of God from Jeremiah 31, 7 through 14. For thus says the Lord, sing loud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations, proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman, and she who is in labor together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word, O Lord of nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from the hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. The word of God. Our New Testament reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And she did not repart apart depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up to the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom And the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this season of Christmas. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us afresh with awe at the coming of Jesus. May you give us a longing for his coming again. Teach us this morning, Lord, we pray, through your spirit, through your word. Help me to honor your word as I teach this morning. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a number of years ago, uh, I found myself in a season of unemployment. I had um, just finished a two-year full-time internship at a church, and uh, I thought as that internship was coming to the end that a job at another church was going to work out. Uh, I was not offered that job. 
And so suddenly found myself without a job and really having no idea even what sort of jobs to look for. I was trying to figure out what was my calling, was I called to ministry, I, I really didn't know. And so went through a, a number of months where I was looking for a job and having a hard time finding one. Um, and uh, was struggling uh, with that. And many of you, have, I'm sure, have experienced times of unemployment and know um, how hard that can be. Uh, my um, oldest son, uh, Aiden, was just around two years old, a little older than two um, at that time. And so one thing I did in the midst of um, the job searching was spend a lot of time uh, with Aiden. And he was very into Thomas the Tank Engine at that time. He had lots of Thomas the Tank Engine toys, if you're familiar with Thomas. And we would watch uh, the videos of Thomas uh, the Tank Engine. I don't know if they're still making them, but the ones we were watching were even old at that time. Uh, but he loved them. We spent a lot of time watching them. And uh, one key character in the Thomas the Tank Engine world is Sir Topham Hatt. He's sort of the overseer, the boss of all the engines. And the greatest compliment that Sir Topham Hatt can give to a train is to say, you are a very useful engine. And I would watch that and I would hear Topham Hatt saying, you are a very useful engine. And I would think, I wish I was a useful engine because I felt very unuseful um, at that point. But now as I look back at that time, I realize, oh, Actually, there were all sorts of useful things um, I was doing that I couldn't see. Spending a lot of time with my son, actually, which was very useful and a joy. My wife actually was pregnant um, at that time. And so the extra time I spent uh, with Aiden was extra time that she got to rest and prepare uh, for um, the, the next child. Um, I was actually taking an online class that I had extra time to invest in and um, uh, do extra reading in. It was a class on the Anglican way of theology, which would end up helping me in my job. I didn't realize that at the time, but in my future work. And also, perhaps most importantly, the Lord was teaching me about trusting in Him. And even in the midst of an uncertain future, the Lord was kind of having me dig down into, will I trust Him even when I have no idea what's next? And so that was a season, again, when I look back and can realize what I was saying was useful. Again, having a job, getting paid, which is good. It's good to have a vocation, so that's not a bad thing. But I was limiting usefulness to just that little narrow category. And actually, I needed my eyes to be open. And eventually, they were to, there's all sorts of ways that the Lord uses us, that we are useful. And oftentimes, our categories are too narrow. What does it mean to be used by the Lord? What does it mean to be useful? I want to think today, again, how we narrow perhaps what it means to be useful, but I also want to think today how perhaps at times we narrow who is useful in the eyes of the Lord. But that too, sometimes we can write off certain types of people and certain people as not being useful to Him. In our passage today, we're going to be looking at the gospel reading. I want to consider Mary and Joseph in this passage, but I also want to consider the prophet Simeon and the prophetess Anna. And we see in both of them that they are uh, what we could call seniors. They are older. Uh, We're given the age of Anna, that she's 84 years old, although um, some actually argue that the Hebrew should be um, translated differently there and that actually she was older than 100 years old. There's some debate about that, but no matter what, she was a senior. Simeon, we're not told his age, um, but clearly he believes he's near the end of his life. As he says, you know, you can now, your servant can now depart in peace. We have a wonderful church as part of our diocese that meets in a senior living center um, that's called St. Simeon and St. Anna, honoring these two senior saints that the Lord used powerfully. But the fact is, and it's a sad reality in our society, not true of all societies in our world, but certainly often true, unfortunately, in North America, 
that seniors are not always seen as valuable. I remember talking to one older member one time of our church. I said the older she got, the more and more she felt that she was invisible, that she'd be at certain gatherings and certain things, and she'd feel like people just don't see me anymore. And I don't know if that was totally true, but it's what she felt. It was the message that was often given to her, right? There's not much use for you. And the scriptures tell us something very different. And this account tells us, no, right? All are useful in the eyes of the Lord from the very youngest to the very oldest. And again, maybe we need our categories of who is useful, what is useful to be expanded. Let's consider that in this Luke passage, one of the very few passages we have of the early life of Jesus, or the early incarnated life of Jesus. Jesus has always been, uh, to be clear. But um, one of the few, again, after his birth, eight days, or a little longer than eight days. Um, But we're told, uh, right, that at the end of eight days he was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he's conceived in the womb. And then we have this time of this presentation, this offering that takes place um, in the temple. And the emphasis, and you can see it very strongly here, is on the obedience of Joseph and Mary. Right? You see it five different times in this passage. It says, they did this according to the law. According to the law. Again and again, it's mentioned at the beginning, it's mentioned at the end. That they were honoring the law of the Lord. I mean, right from the beginning, they had Jesus circumcised on the eighth day. That's what the law teaches. They called Jesus, Jesus, because the angel had told them to call Jesus, Jesus. They are obeying what the angel told them. And then, in this simple act of obedience, they bring Jesus to present him to the Lord in the temple. It's what the law commands. It's actually worth noting here that the law actually commands that a lamb be given um, as a sacrifice for the first male born, but that if the family can't afford a lamb... They can give two turtle doves. So we actually see in their sacrifice, actually, that Mary and Joseph did not have extra income. It doesn't mean they were desperately poor, but it definitely means they were not having enough income to actually afford a lamb. We get an insight right into their economic situation. And yet they are obedient. Now, Mary and Joseph are obedient in huge things, right? We know this, right? And so, again, as we think of being useful, right? I mean, Mary said yes to the Lord when he told her, you will give birth to the Savior. You will actually conceive of a child through the power of the Holy Spirit. Although you are a virgin, you will have a child. And she says, may it be unto me as the Lord has said. Right? And Joseph has showed incredible obedience. Right? He's told, your betrothed, your fiance, is pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you are still supposed to marry her. Right? And Joseph shows incredible obedience and incredible trust in the Lord, and he obeys. But in this passage, we see not only are Joseph and Mary faithful in the huge things, Right? In the big ways, they're faithful in the everyday acts of obedience. And that is extremely useful in the eyes of the Lord. To say yes to the Lord, to the, the daily things he calls us to. To the simple acts of obedience. They obeyed the law. They said that is right to do. Right? That is of use to the Lord. It reminds me, if you were here during Advent, we looked at the book of Ruth. And the fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, Pete um, Berg, and talking about Boaz talked about how Boaz perhaps would be surprised at the way that passage so honors him and upholds him as really a hero. And, you know, Pete suggested Boaz would probably just say, I don't know what the big deal was. I was just obeying the Lord, right? I was just being generous with what the Lord gave me. Simple acts of obedience. God uses those. So, again, as we think about what does it mean to be useful in the eyes of the Lord, it means to say yes daily to the small things he calls us to, to the simple acts of obedience, and to say no daily to those temptations, those things that would draw us away from the Lord. 
that we would be tempted to go our own way. And I'm struck, actually, as I look at Joseph and Mary, right, that if anyone could have said, well, you know, maybe we can be the exception, right, it was them. If anyone could have said, like, really, do we really have to bring two turtle loves to the temple? I mean, this is the Savior. I mean, when he was born, we had to lay him in a manger. Like, surely the manger is sort of, you know, gives us an excuse not to have to go to the temple, right? You know, I mean, we've already suffered a lot. We've already gone through a lot. There's no exceptionalism with Joseph and Mary, although they're exceptional. Right? There's no sense in which we get a pass, right? We're, we're allowed to disobey the Lord because we've given so much to the Lord. But how easy that can creep in. I know it can for me. I've done so much for the Lord, I get a pass for this one. Surely my daily acts of obedience don't make a difference. When I'm obeying him in the big things, I can kind of maybe skip a few of the small things, right? I can perhaps say yes to that temptation. When I read and look at the accounts of people who've suffered moral falls or have committed moral falls, whether that be in the church or in the you know, business world or wherever it is, so often when you hear those stories, you hear a sense of exceptionalism that came in. Right? I am so important. There's so much I do, whether it's for the Lord or for other people, I'm given a pass. Right? The expectations I have of other people actually don't apply to me. Right? That sort of big acts of obedience, the important things that we say are useful and important, give us an excuse to sort of skip over the small things. And again, I'm struck that here is this moment, one of the few moments we get from the early life of the Holy Family, and the Lord included it in the Scriptures to say, this matters too. It matters that Joseph and Mary said yes in the big things, and it matters that they say yes in the small things. That we can be aware of ways in which we say, oh, the small things don't matter. The Lord says, yes, they do. Now, in saying this, I'm not suggesting and trying to put a burden on you and a sense of condemnation like, oh, those small little disobediences, right? You know, they're, they're not forgiven. Of course they are forgiven, right? The Lord shows His grace and His mercy, right? But actually, as we think about those small acts of obedience and when we don't obey, those small acts of disobedience, I think it's worth noting the, the marvel, the wonder of Joseph and Mary. I can't turn my page here. Um, in verse uh, 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. It's pretty striking, actually, that they would be marveling at what was said about Jesus after what they've experienced already, right? They know Jesus is the Messiah. They know he's the Christ. They know that he was actually conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? They know that angels appeared to shepherds and sent the shepherds to come and to see Jesus on the night that he was born, right? And yet they still marvel at what Simeon says. Maybe that's, their, you know, the hearing that he's a revelation to the Gentiles, maybe that hadn't struck them yet, that Jesus would not be only the Messiah to the Jewish people, but to all people. But I wonder more than that, if it's just that Joseph and Mary had a heart of wonder, that they didn't grow tired of marveling at what God had done, or that they continued to marvel. It's true, right? God keeps telling us it is true that our son will be the Messiah. Right? And that heart of marvel, that heart of wondering, I believe, is at the core of those daily acts of obedience and daily confessing, right, when we're disobedient, to continue to have a heart of wonder at the Lord's salvation, to continue to celebrate right, that there is nothing I can do that separates me from the love of God, that daily I can wonder and know the joy of his salvation, that daily I can celebrate, right, that obeying him, I honor him, and when I disobey him, he forgives me and restores me and pours out his grace on me. And then we know, right, that same sort of marvel um, and wonder that Joseph and Mary felt. 
So we have that daily obedience, right? The usefulness of saying yes to the Lord and saying yes to his salvation and his forgiveness when we disobey. But then let's consider Simeon and Anna. Again, this prophet and this prophetess. And what did they show us about what is useful? And one thing we see in Simeon is how useful in the Lord's eyes, how important it is just to see, just to notice, right? To, to look. Right? Simeon is told by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, right? You hear that used to see there. He wouldn't see death but before he had seen Jesus. And it doesn't say, right, that, you know, he'll save the Savior's life or he has a special message for the Savior that only he can give, right? The only promise is you'll see Jesus. And we may say, well, what's the use in that? Okay, he saw Jesus and then he died. Okay, well, what's the big deal? Well, seeing is a big deal. And Simeon understood that, right? He held on to this promise. And what does he say when he sees Jesus? One thing he doesn't say is he doesn't say, what? Like, this is just a baby. Like, really, Lord? Like, I thought I was going to see a warrior. I thought I was going to see the Messiah. All I'm seeing is this poor family coming in, offering their child, um, uh, presenting their child in the temple. No, he sees Jesus and he says, my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Right? Not just the future salvation, the someday salvation. No, Jesus is the salvation right at that moment. My eyes see in this baby God's salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Both of those, again, tie into seeing. That the Gentiles will see he's the revelation, right? He's the Savior. He will be a glory to the people of Israel. Glory is light, right? Shining out. Simeon gets the importance of seeing Jesus. And his seeing comes out of listening, right? He listens to, the work, listens to the work of the Holy Spirit, the words of the Spirit. The Spirit nudges him, today's the day, right? Go to the temple. Today's the day that the promise will be filled. And he responds to that and he sees. And out of his seeing comes the naming. He sees Jesus, right? And he names what is true powerfully, that Jesus is the revelation to the Gentiles, that he is salvation, that he is glory to the people of Israel, right? And he names, right, that this child will be appointed for the fall and rising of many Israel for a sign that is opposed. And he even names, right, that Mary uh, will suffer. How powerful that is. Now, again, we can say, well, I mean, hearing and seeing and naming, we know those things are useful. But I think at Simeon we see a, um, a patient seeing, right, a, a persevering hearing. Right? And, and a, a faith-filled naming. And so often we just see, right, what's right in front of us. We just see the immediate. We see the urgent. Again, when we're sort of motivated by being useful, it may be, what do I need to do next? Right? That that's always kind of what we're seeing. And Simeon actually models for us, uh, uh, again, a, a waiting upon the Lord and seeking the Lord. What are you wanting me to see? What perhaps is right in front of me that I'm not seeing? Where is the usefulness, again, in waiting upon the Lord and wondering and pondering and listening and then naming as he calls us to name? I think Simeon, again, calls us perhaps to resist sort of the ways the world tells us you must do this to be useful and to say, I will wait on the Lord. What is he wanting me to see? How is he wanting me to name certain things that need to be named, certain truths that need to be named? And I think right here I see this in Simeon. Again, we're all called to this. I think it's especially powerful. Right, when our older members, when those who have more life experience, see and name. Right, it can be so powerful when the wisdom that comes, right, the, the devotion, the life of devotion that flows out of saying this is true. 
Let me name this for you. Let me help you see something that perhaps you're not seeing that I can help you to see. Right? We need you, senior members, um, uh, to, to do that for us and to offer that, right? that there's power in that. We need to be reminded of that. As I thought about that, I thought of a, a men's retreat. I think it was actually our last men's retreat because we didn't have one last year. So this would have been um, two years ago. And I was in a small group. Usually at our men's retreat, we'll have a teaching, then we'll break up into smaller groups to talk about um, the teaching. Um, and I was in a, a group with Mel Oz, um, who um, uh, I think was the oldest member um, on that men's retreat. Um, he often let that be known, um, that he was a senior member. And um, many of you know, um, sadly, Mel and his wife Sue died about a year ago. Um, so that would have been his last men's retreat. And on that, um, in that group, we were talking, and I forget what the theme was of the talk we were responding to, but Mel shared a story of a, um, a young man he had worked with who he um, really had a hard time with, um, which was surprising because if you know Mel, you, you figured he doesn't have a hard time with anybody. But this guy, he actually did. He had a hard time working with this guy. And he was so frustrated by him. And then Mel just started to pray that he would love this guy. Even though he found him very hard to love, um, he just started to pray, Lord, give me love for this, this person. And so he decided he would start acting like he loved this person, even though he felt little love for him. And so he started to just daily, right, in obedience, act kind toward this guy and act loving toward him. And what happened eventually over a long period of time is his heart began to follow what his actions um, did. And he actually began to feel true affection. As Mel shared the story, he showed that this guy ended up becoming one of his closest friends, someone he deeply loved. As he shared that story, I was so moved. I remember I was starting to choke up and was feeling kind of embarrassed in this group that I was so moved. And I looked over at the guy across from me who was in his 20s, and tears were just streaming down his face. Because we needed that, right? We, we needed to hear that. We needed that to be named, right? That you actually can love difficult people. We needed that from an elder member to tell us, you can do this, and there is joy in that. And so there's a seeing and a hearing and a naming. And we see that as well in Anna, right? That she also sees, right? What few other people see that day, right? That really only her and Simeon and Joseph and Mary, she sees as well, right? This is the Messiah. This is the redemption of Jerusalem. And she also, right, responds and she names that reality and she proclaims it. Simeon, right, celebrates to the Lord. He proclaims to Joseph and Mary. Anna proclaims to everybody, Right? She basically tells everybody. As my wife Molly and I were talking about this passage this week, Molly was saying, you know, she wonders if Anna was like the, the temple mom. Like when you went to the temple, you knew Anna would be there. I mean, we were basically told she's there all the time. Like everyone knew, oh, yeah, we'll see Anna today because we're going to the temple. And so perhaps, right, as she proclaimed, people are like, oh, my gosh, like Anna is saying this. This must be true. This must be really important. But you also have to wonder if people are saying, what is she saying, right? This is crazy, right? That this baby, again, of this unimpressive family, this poor family is the Messiah, is the Savior we've been waiting for. Did many people think what she was proclaiming was ridiculous? But that didn't stop Anna. She didn't say, it's not useful to tell people this. They won't believe it. No, she proclaimed what was true. So that's the final thing I want to consider is what is useful. The Lord tells us what is useful is to speak out what is true. And I'm not suggesting that we, you know, do that in an obnoxious way. They do make, try to make connections with people and find ways to share our faith in winsome and, and engaging ways. But so often I don't speak out what is true because I think it won't make a difference. It won't matter. No one will ever believe this. I think what honest shows is there is power in speaking the truth. 
There's power in proclaiming what is right. We experience it on Sundays when we worship together and we speak it out. We experience it in a conversation when we offer to pray for someone. And we say, actually, there is hope. I believe that. That Anna shows us, look, we can speak that out and that is useful. Right? God uses that in powerful ways. There's a, um, a British writer, um, Terry Pratchett, who's written a, a number of books, uh, fantasy books. Um, and in his books, uh, one of the um, characters is death. He's a, the personification of death. Again, they're uh, fantasy books. Um, uh, but death is fascinated by human beings. He finds um, humans very interesting, even though, again, he brings them um, to, to, to death. Um, and he says this in one of the books, the character death says, Human beings make life so interesting. Do you know that in a universe so full of wonders, they have managed to invent boredom? I love uh, that quote, um, that we actually, humans, have managed to find a way to be bored in a world full of wonders. I wonder if at times our boredom actually comes out of our sense of usefulness is so narrow. Our understanding of what is important is so narrow, and if we broaden it out, and, and receive the Lord's invitation to wonder at the world, to wonder at our salvation, right? to listen for his voice, to respond, to name what he names, to proclaim what is true, that actually we would find ourselves free from boredom, that we would find ourselves engaging in wonder as Simeon and Anna and Joseph and Mary do. Let's pray for that. <clears throat> Lord, we again thank you. Thank you for the beauty of your world Lord, we thank you that even on a freezing cold morning, we can delight um, in, in the beauty um, and um, the grace of being alive. We thank you, Lord, um, that you've given us eyes to see, that you have given us ears to hear. And we thank you, Lord, that your spirit opens our eyes and clears our ears. We pray, Lord, for this day and for this next coming year, that you would give us sensitivity, you would give us openness, you would give us wonder. And Lord, may we define what is useful by what you call useful. May we define who is useful by what you say who is useful, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in each step of our lives to say yes to you. And we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.